We'll start at verse 1 of chapter 4. Why is it, there's an echo in here? <laughs> A little different than the other building. Okay, verse 1. And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus Christ resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of them was about five thousand. And it came to pass on the morrow that the rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said unto them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we be this day examined of the good deed done to this impotent man, by what means he hath been made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised out from dead once, even by him that this man stand here before you whole. This is a stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is now become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other name, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of of Peter and John, and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had uh, commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no name, no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, or, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you uh, more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For uh, the man was above 40 years old uh, for whom this miracle of healing was showed. And so we'll uh, hopefully uh, get a little further in this. It's often difficult for me to remember where I'm at because I'm studying through this stuff as I'm teaching it to you. And I can't remember if it's something I studied or something I t actually taught in front of you guys. When I'm, I believe we left off in verse 13. I actually have a note in my notes uh, for that. I probably should start putting the date and that would make more sense. Um, but let's uh, bow in a word of prayer and we'll get back into the context. Father, we're grateful uh, for this day and, and grateful as always for the uh, opportunity that we have uh, to 
serve you in these bodies, uh, to look at the examples of people who have done it before and who were empowered by your Holy Spirit and led uh, into the different acts that they had to go through, many which were a lot tougher than the things we go through today. And to see that example and to know that it's the same Holy Spirit that was empowering them that gives us the power uh, to to go through the things that we face. And so we uh, pray that we might be able to draw confidence and boldness, uh, the same of which uh, they were able to operate in uh, in, in uh, our daily lives and that we might be able to be glorifying uh, to you by doing so. Uh, we are grateful for this building and to be able to be in here and, and to be able to uh, be fully functional, uh, to not have uh, two expenditures at once, but to to truly be able to move into our own place. And we uh, also think of the mothers and we're grateful for uh, each one of them uh, that you provided uh, in the lives of all of us uh, to uh, provide guidance, to uh, lead the homes, to uh, help with the children uh, and all of the different things that they do. We're grateful. Uh, We're grateful for all these things in your son's name. Amen. All right, and so verse 13, uh, we see that the Jewish leadership uh, comes up with a decision after having sent uh, Peter and John away, and they're going to give them their word on what they think they should do. Now, remember here, this is a political type situation, and we see many political situations facing our country here today where people don't always do what's obviously right. They do what's politically convenient. When there's a decision morally facing people, they're usually not going to take the morally correct position. They're going to do what's convenient or what's politically convenient. Now, here you have a definite miracle that has been done, which they can't speak against. And so what do they do? They try to find a political way of wiggling out of this one. What are they going to do? They're going to threaten them. Aside from the people, don't teach in this name anymore. Now, if it were truly correct for them to do that, wouldn't they have gone in front of everyone and said, don't you dare teach in this name anymore? But you're not going to see that. They can't argue against it because a miracle was done in that name. So how can you openly speak against that name? And this is what you see in the context. And so uh, the immediate reaction you see the amazement or awestruck uh, uh, demeanor with Peter and John. Uh, and so in verse 13, it says uh, they were amazed at the fact that they were bold because they perceived that these men were not very intelligent or had, didn't have rabbinical uh, training, as it were. And so this idea of boldness, uh, the boldness of, of Peter to speak Uh, And I've said it before in the last chapter, this is in stark contrast with the Peter that we saw in the Gospels. Now, we saw Peter acting out of false boldness many times, right? And jumping and saying, I'll do this and I'll do that. (laughs) I'll I'll not deny you, Lord, even though he denies him very quickly thereafter. We saw him making bold statements and then the little girl comes along and guess what? He's not willing to stand by those statements that he made. Uh, but this Peter, not the one empowered out of his flesh, uh, I, it's easy to talk a lot of times about what you would do in situations. And then that situation comes about and you don't have that boldness anymore, right? Oh, if this person were to do that to me, I'd do such and such and this kind of thing. 
And it doesn't react, it doesn't come out like that when the actual situation appears. And this is what faced Peter, right? Oh, I would go, I would die for you, Lord. And then the little girl comes up and, oh, <laughs> I don't know the man. This is the kind of reactions that we have when we react out of our flesh. And I think the true intent of Peter was to do everything that he said he was going to do. What's the difference? It was missing the Holy Spirit. He wasn't spirit-filled to be able to carry through on those things that he wanted to do. Reminds me also of uh, Paul as we get over to chapter 8 of Romans, right? He's trying to act out of the flesh. And those very things that he didn't want to do, those are the things he does. And the things that he wanted to do, he couldn't do. Why? Because he's trying to find strength out of his own flesh. Here we see Peter struggling with the, the very same thing in the Gospels, but now able to truly act on behalf of the Holy Spirit. And so that boldness comes from that. That's one of the words that we uh, taught on when we went up to uh, Washington. And you see this word as an attitude of openness. It stems from freedom and lack of fear. And so at the uh, uh, danger of these Jewish leadership doing something or harming him, he was willing to even still speak with boldness and openness. He spoke the truth. This miracle that you saw done was done by the person that you crucified and that God raised from the dead. And so a very important thing to see here with boldness, not just his, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And then they were also awestruck at his, uh, the perception of their education level. And this word uh, for perception here uh, comes from the idea to have a mental apprehension of thought or idea in the context their uh, opinion of him is formulated from what they have beheld. And so looking at Paul and Peter and likely knowing that their origin being fishermen from Galilee. And so this is not a place where uh, intelligent people were known to come from. And we know that they didn't have any rabbinical training that would have confirmed that these guys are learned men. And so they saw them as ignorant and speaking in the way that they did. It put them in awe. Now, um, the other thing that is said about them is that they were ignorant. And this word for ignorant uh, comes from our word uh, from you derive our word. And I've said it here many times. uh, Me and my brothers weren't so nice to each other all the time when we were younger. Right. Surprise. Everyone's shocked. (laughs) What? A time or two, my brother probably called me an idiot, right? (laughs) Didn't you? (laughs) And maybe I called him that too, I don't know. (laughs) But this comes from this word uh, that derives our English word idiot. And so very common in Greek writings from Herodias down is properly of a private person opposed to magistrate, uh, ruler, or king. But the noun has many other meanings also, each one of uh, which is understood from his antithesis. Uh, And so it can be translated a common soldier uh, or a writer uh, of prose. Uh, But in this context, um, when you see someone that's kind of only subject to their own things, right? They don't have knowledge outside of themselves. So you see how a word for idiot can be derived from that because they're missing knowledge that's common to man. And so here's what... um, these these uh, Jewish leadership thought of Peter and John. Now we see that word used in a few different places just to give uh, a bit more 
of a flavor of the word. Go with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. There are other references there, but we won't go to all of them. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 6. Now, let's start at verse 1 just to get the context here because Paul is, is speaking of how he sees that the Corinthian saints are viewing him. And so, they, as you know, if you've been through uh, Monday or Wednesday nights in our Bible study going through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, these people did not have a very high opinion of Paul. We look in retrospect back at Paul and we put Paul up here, but... Uh, you know, when you have someone around all the time, it's not as easy to revere them <laughs> as, as it uh, were. And these people did not revere Paul at all. They kind of had a bad opinion of him. And so you see it here spelled out in the way that Paul writes this uh, uh, chapter 11. Pick it up in verse 1. It says, Would to God that you could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. And so this is sarcasm or even looking through the mind of these uh, Corinthian saints and how they saw him. They saw him as foolish, right? And what he's writing to them. And so he's saying, bear with me a little bit in this, this folly. Verse 2, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealous, jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband that I may, be, uh, I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest as by any means... As the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your mind should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Uh, in Christ, verse four: For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if you received another spirit which you have not received, or another gospel which you have not accepted, you might be- well bear it or bear with me. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the chiefest of apostles. But though I be rude in speech, yet not in knowledge. Uh, but you, or but we have been uh, truly made manifest among you in all things. And I'm missing, oh, our word here, rude in speech. And so this idea here of being uh, idiotic in speech or not being able to speak from a place of common knowledge is at view here. And so this is the way they looked at Paul. is not one uh, having the knowledge to speak on, on these subject matters. And why? Because their minds have been shifted around by these false teachers who said that we're the ones, right? If you go back into the, the uh, book there a little bit further, they said we have letters of commendation. There are people that say that we're legit, right? <laughs> And Paul is being looked at as one that's not legitimate because there's no one to confirm or to say that, hey, this guy knows what he's talking about. And so he goes on to tell them further, hey, you, here are letters of commendation. We don't need any of that uh, from anywhere else. But not to get too far off into it, that idea of, uh, of idiot is, is seen there. And so this is how is going back to Acts chapter four. These Jewish leadership were looking at Peter and John. They weren't uh, the most intelligent in their eyes, or they didn't have knowledge that's common uh, to the group here. And so in verses 13 through 14, we see further awareness 
of these uh, of, of Paul and John in their condition. And so they marveled uh, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And so uh, this association having been disciples of Jesus. Now, we know that the time is not passed too far from the time that Christ was ministering on earth and was crucified and died. And so there were people that were alive that saw them conducting themselves with Christ during his earthly ministry. And they knew exactly who these guys were and remembered them from then. And so that's part of what's framing uh, their understanding or their knowledge of them. And so uh, awareness also of the reality we see in verse uh, 14 of the healing that took place. And so they're going to have to juxtapose these two different things here, right? There's a notable miracle that took place. This man that was sitting out in front of the temple begging for alms day after day that they knew very well was healed, right? Let's imagine that there was a a person that was sitting out here outside of this church every day begging for money, right? And everybody knows it that passes by this church. This example doesn't uh, go as well because everybody in the city is not coming to this church. Um, But but people know that this individual has this debilitating uh, uh, illness or, or thing with his body. And they see him healed right in front of you, right in front of everybody, in the sight of everyone to see. You can't deny that. Everyone knows that this person had this thing that he has and now he's healed. So they know they can't argue from the position of saying that this thing didn't take place. Too many people saw it. Now, if it would have taken place just in front of them, they might have tried to disregard the fact that it ever happened and say maybe uh, something happened and he was he was healed and able to walk again. But hey, they can't deny this. And this is a point to be made. And so they have an awareness of that in verse 14. It says, and beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. And so they could not uh, or they could physically see the man uh, standing before them healed and they could not dispute the merit of the of the healing. So their argument, if you're in a courtroom (laughs) and you're having facts put before you, this fact can't be disputed. So what do they do? They go to arguing against the name by which this individual was healed. There's something with that name, right? When you say that name, Jesus, in front of these people, and you see it even today, right? A lot of people accept God, and you can talk about God freely all you want to. A lot of people believe in God. When you start talking about Jesus, people have a problem with that, right? This man that you say lived so long ago and he died on the cross and was buried and rose again. Are you kidding me? People don't want to hear that. They have no problem with God. Big problem with Jesus. And you see this here uh, with these individuals. And so in verse 15 through 17, you see they go together in conference to decide what should be done uh, and how they're going to weasel their way out of this, this situation. Uh, And so you can't. uh, Here's the thing that you think about before they're going into this discussion. Can't dispute the facts of the healing. How are we going to influence these people? And this is what's in the minds of these individuals the whole time. They care about influencing people. They don't care about truth because if they cared about the truth, they would say this guy was healed. And they said they did it by the name of Jesus. 
And so maybe we should put some faith in this, this Jesus guy that we, we crucified. Nope, that's not what they're going to do. They're going to attack the name of Jesus. And so in verses 4, 15 through 16, we see this call into the conference. Um, in, in, in verse 15, the sending away of the accused before they do it. And so why is it that they keep having to send people away? How come they can't just have an open discussion about what's going on? You see, when, when truth is at stake, when you can't be open about the truth, you know that something's wrong. And so they have to send Peter and John away to have this discussion. In verse 15, it says, uh, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. And so um, the sending away of the accused uh, by the Sanhedrin, we see um, uh, um, give me one second I'm trying to see why I had this oh um, and so the, the council here and this is what's the view is why we have these um, other other scriptures referenced here uh, is this Sanhedrin uh, and we talked about them before um, being they have a smaller council that you could face but this is a larger one and we can go a, a couple different places to look at uh, different times that these guys have met together in this way uh, and, and had discussions concerning other things. And so the Lord warned uh, the disciples of the future uh, delivery to the Sanhedrin back in uh, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 17. Uh, we won't go there. Uh, the Sanhedrin gathered uh, together to contemplate decisions regarding Jesus. Let's let's go to that one because this is a very similar thing to what you see here. Uh, well, we have several references. Go with me to Matthew chapter 26 and verse 59. And we'll look at that one. Matthew 26, 59. And pick it up in verse 57. Um, and it says there, And they uh, that had laid hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. Uh, verse 58. Uh, 59 is the one I'm looking for. But Peter uh, followed him afar off unto the high priest's, high priest's palace and went in and sat with the servants to see the end. Now the chief priests and elders and all the council sought uh, false witness against Jesus to put him to death, but uh, found none. Yea, uh, though many false witnesses came, yet they uh, found, found they none. Uh, at last came two false witnesses. And so you see, uh, and what, what we were focusing on was that word for counsel there is our word for Sanhedrin, the same word that we see uh, used over in Acts. But you see the same uh, contrived behavior, right? They can't just let facts stand where they may, right? And this is what we often see in courts today. You, you can't just have people come and argue a case and let it fall where it may. The truth is what's supposed to be sought after in any ruling, right? If we were in a, even a board of education and having people come to present their cases there, you should be seeking after truth. It shouldn't be, 
I want to get done what I want to get done. And this side over here, I want to get done what I want to get done. If both sides are looking to find truth, you're going to let facts fall where they may. But with these councils, you often see this, and this is why I listed them out throughout Scripture. They're not interested in finding out truth. They're interested in getting what they want accomplished. And they will bend and twist and do whatever it takes to get that to happen. And so we see this in many cases. Go with me also over. uh, We see the Sanhedrin gathered against the apostles as a result of the work they did uh, after uh, the death of Ananias and Sapphira. Go with me over to. Well, let's not do that one. Uh, Acts chapter 6 and verse 12. Let's do that one. Uh, The Sanhedrin convened uh, after the apprehension of Stephen. In Acts chapter 6 and verse 12. (laughs) Um, and pick it up in verse 8 it says and Stephen remember here if you go back into the context what's happening here is they've uh, elected these deacons into positions uh, not deacons but uh, yeah deacons to, to help with the ministry to all of the saints and so Stephen being one of those that was named uh, and one of the early martyrs that we see here but pick it up in verse 8 it says and Stephen full of faith and power did great wonders and miracles among the people then they, uh, there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called uh, the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and the Alexandrians and of them of Cilicia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. Uh, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Important thing to note there. They couldn't go against the information that he was providing to them. So what do they do? They go on the offensive uh, against him uh, instead. In verse 10, it says, um, or excuse me, verse 11, it says, and they uh, suborn, this idea of suborn is to instigate uh, men, which said, we have heard him speak blasphemies or blasphemous words against Moses and against God. So what do they do? You can't find anything whereby to argue against them. You find somebody to tell a lie against what he's teaching. Uh, and so it goes on further in verse 12. And uh, they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And so you see this um, uh, bringing forth of, of uh, uh, Stephen to the council. And in verse 13, we'll read through the end of the chapter. It says, and they set uh, up false witnesses which said, this man uh, cease, uh, ceases not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses uh, delivered unto us. And all that sat in the council, looks, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. And we know <laughs> the next whole chapter is Peter delivering to them truth. They bring against him lies and deceit and false witnesses. And what does he do? He delivers the truth concerning this man, the one that is able to provide salvation for every last one of them. 
He brings truth. And what do they do? As they do many times, what did the Lord say? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets. And they ultimately killed him. And they ultimately killed people after him. Why? Because they tell the truth. And this is what Peter and John are on trial for currently. Uh, we have other ones that you could see with the Sanhedrin there, but I think you get the picture. Uh, point B, we see the assembly of the council in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. And so going back to chapter 4, they've sent them off, right? Peter and John are gone. They're back here meeting together. And they're trying to contrive a way of how they're going to dispute this notable miracle that's been done. And so in verses 15 through 16, or, uh, 15 through 16 we see this conference. Uh, and uh, pick it up there, verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go uh, aside of the council, they conferred uh, among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For then indeed a notable miracle has been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. And so uh, how do we get around the fact that these people have done this miracle in the name of Jesus? Um, this conference comes from the word uh, sumbalo, which has the idea of to throw uh, something together. Uh, and so you see them uh, conferring or coming together in this question here of what to do uh, with these men. If you're following along, you know, so you guys have up to page 40. OK, so page 40, top of page 40. We see the agreement uh, that it's an undeniable act. And so very funny to me that these guys are sitting here meeting together, knowing that this act cannot be disputed. And yet. Still coming up, you see how that sin nature works? Still coming up with a way to try to explain away something that you know has been done and accomplished. And we're going to see what they come to a decision of in verse 17. And so here we see the decision uh, of the council. In verse 17 it says, but that it spread no further. And so this is in contrast with the fact that a notable miracle was done. They say, but that it spread no further. We don't want anybody outside of Jerusalem to know what's happened here. What should we do uh, among the people? Let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. Ah, <laughs> ah, we've got it. We know what to do. We can't deny that this has happened, but we can tell them if you speak in this name again, such and such a thing is going to happen to you. Right. Right. <laughs> That's the way to do it, right? Threaten people. That always works. And we see this here. And so the the resolution to stop the message of the apostles is the understanding of the potential for the gospel message to spread by the validation of this healing. You see where their thinking is? If they know that by Jesus Christ this man was healed. They're going to believe in him. <laughs> and we can't have that. And so what do they do? They threaten them. The fear that the apostles could negatively affect their system of religious control of the people is why they did this. Go back with me to John chapter 11 and verse 48. And this is the same thing that we saw carried out as Jesus was on the earth during his earthly ministry. 
John chapter 11 and verse 48. And we can pick it up in verse 47. It says there, uh, Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a council and said, "What uh, What do we? For this man doeth many miracles. Sound familiar? <laughs> Speaking of the Lord. If we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. Were they very concerned with God sending who he said was going to come? You see how they were so deceived and not able to understand that Jesus was the one that God had sent? Because they had their own agenda that they were hoping to accomplish. They had set up a nice little political system there within Israel. And that was what was important to them. Not the coming of the Messiah. If the Messiah was going to come, he was going to come on their terms. Remember when he fed the, the, uh, the, the many there on the mountain, they were wanting to take him and make him king then. Right? On their terms. Not on the terms of, and they probably would have run into a little bit of trouble with the Jewish leadership even then. But it's always on terms of men and not on terms of God. And so they didn't want this to come in the way that it was supposed to come according to God's plan and purposes. They wanted it to come in the way that they saw fit for it to come. And so same thing is occurring over here as we go back to Acts chapter 4. And verse 17. And so this is why they are threatening them. Don't you dare preach in that name again. You do it again. And we're going to. Who knows what they say. We're going to kill you. We're going to put you in prison. We're going to beat you 39 times. Uh, Any of these things could have been uh, the result of of, uh, their threatenings here. uh, Because it's just generally said they threatened them. Uh, And so the resolution uh, was to threaten the apostles. Uh, and so this action of threatening comes from our word um, uh, apileo, which has the idea of to declare uh, that one uh, will cause harm to another, particularly if certain conditions are not met. And so that fits our context here very well. Uh, my definition of the word is a, a statement of individuals from adverse or authoritative positions that requires certain actions with consequences for non Compliance. Now, uh, being a parent, I have used this <laughs> as a tool a couple of times, a time or two. If you don't do such and such, such and such is going to happen, <laughs> right? There's going to be some swift consequences that are carried out. Now, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't <laughs> for me. Uh, <laughs> well, there you go, yeah. <laughs> and and here, we, here we have it, um, that this threatening position, this... Do you see success in threatening? Throughout scripture, think about all the times that people have threatened. Is it very successful? Not successful here, because we see Peter and John, they're going to speak against it right to their face. They're not even going to wait till they get away from here. Uh, but looking further at this word for threatening, let's look at a couple uh, instances of this. Uh, that we see in scripture. Uh, We do see that uh, the threatening of the Sanhedrin is acknowledged by the saints after the release of Peter, and so we'll see that in a little bit, so we won't go there. Uh, But in chapter 9, verse 1 of Acts, we see that Saul was seen threatening believers 
and his persecutions in coordination with the high priest. Go with me over there to Acts chapter 9 and verse 1. Now remember, this is directly after the uh, stoning of Stephen. And you would think, hey, this happened. Isn't this going to have a negative impact on Christianity? Well, <laughs> little thing about this persecution and these threatenings that these people do. It might scare some, but overall it causes the church to blow up and explode. And you see it happen everywhere. In Africa, we have brothers and sisters being persecuted every day. Do you see them ducking and hiding from who they are in Christ? In other places around the world, it causes Christianity to explode. And you see it here throughout the book of Acts. Uh, but in verse 1 of chapter 9, it says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, uh, this term for this way, we've talked about it, I think, before, but this is what they called Christians, and it was uh, used as a derogatory term towards them. They are of this way. They're different from the rest of people. Uh, but it came to be used as an affectionate term. But he says, if they found any of this way, whether there be, uh, whether they were men or women, you see here, uh, he's equal opportunity persecutor, men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near to Damascus and suddenly shined round about him a light from heaven. And so we know this is the beginning of, of Paul and his ministry, right? And so what was he doing there? He was breathing out threatenings and, and planning to slaughter Christians, even capturing and jailing women and children for be believing in Jesus Christ. And so this is the idea of what was uh, given to Peter and John uh, as, as they were threatened by the uh, Jewish leadership. And so back to chapter 4 and verse uh, 17. Acts chapter 4. And so the purpose of the threat was to stop them from speaking in this name, uh, uh, in the name of Jesus. And you see this statement here, you will not speak in any further in this name. Uh, um, uh, kind of come off from that. And so in verses eight, 18 through 23, uh, we see the conveyance of their decision. Uh, and it says there, how many minutes do we have? Well, we're at time. So I'm going to just read through this and uh, we'll come back next week. But in verse 18, it says, and they uh, called them and commanded them that they not uh, or not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Uh, but <laughs> you see the reaction of Peter and John here in verse 19. Uh, but Peter and John answered and said unto them, whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, you judge. And so we'll come back to that next week. They're going to tell them explicitly, do not preach in this name anymore. What are they saying by saying, whether it be right in the sight of God to listen to you or to continue to do what we, we're doing, you judge. 
They're saying directly that God is the one that has told us to preach in this name. And we're not going to stop. So you do the judgment of what you need to do. And so we'll come back to that next week. There is a time and a place, I will say, to disobey when people are telling you things that are contrary to what you know the word to say. And we need to be uh, judges of that ourselves. Let's bow in a word of prayer. Father, we're grateful for this day and grateful for the opportunity uh, to uh, be inspired by the acts of other men who were uh, led and filled by your Holy Spirit to do the things that you desired for them to do. And so we pray that if the time comes, we will be of the same mind, that we would uh, be locked into who we are in Christ and led by the Holy Spirit, empowered by him, uh, by his filling Uh, And all of the things that we have uh, as a result of being in Christ uh, to face any situation that is before us. Uh, We are are so grateful for the opportunity to look back on these uh, examples that have been provided in your word uh, because they give us solace should this situation ever face us. We're grateful in your son's name we pray. Amen.